Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Today, coming to you from Geneva, Ohio, home of Practice and Pancakes sponsor, Spire Institute. More on that in a couple weeks. As always, we're joined by Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief, Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Swim Swim contributor, Michael Heyman from Naperville, Illinois. It's like the Westmont Pro Swim. We're just going to go ahead and rebrand and the entire suburban area of Chicago. That's exactly right. (laughs) You're in the state of Illinois. That's all our viewers need to know. We've got a quick Newsweek rundown, and then we are talking world champ trials. Let's start with head coaching changes. First off, Chris Lindauer, who was the associate head coach at University of Louisville, has been announced as the head coach of Notre Dame. Braden, I think you saw this one coming before everyone else. What do you think of this hire? Yeah, this was kind of one that I think people have known about for a while, whether or not um, it was announced. It's kind of been common knowledge within the community for maybe a week or two. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's a good hire. He's been there for the entire of the Arthur Albiero sort of build up at Louisville. And Louisville, thanks to uh, their consistent drops at NCAAs, which are basically as good as anybody in the country. Um, is is kind of a hot-handed program. Um, so I think I think the next question is who's he going to take with him from the Louisville staff, and who is Louisville going to hire to replace him? Uh, Arthur Albiero was making calls, vetting Jeremy Kipp, the former USC coach, um, to be his new associate head coach. Sort of sounds like that's fallen through. Um, but you know, if if Louisville loses two coaches out of this who they replace them with uh, could be a big determining factor in the future of that program too. So. Yeah. I mean, like Braden said, this has kind of been, at least on the inside uh, seemed to have been known for a little while that this was coming to me. I I think it's a, you know, moving within the conference, he obviously knows the ACC as, as well as, as any of their probably potential candidates, you know, have or do. Um, The thing that's, that's a little bit interesting to me is, is, Notre Dame and Louisville are, are very different universities, even though they compete in the same conference. Um, you know, Notre Dame being a, a private, religiously based school with really, really elite academics. Louisville, um, you know, being a public school. Careful, that, Michael. <laughs> that's in super, it's in a super urban area, and and Notre Dame is is in a very rural area. Like they are, they could not be two completely like they couldn't be more different on just about every level. Um, and I, I think that's going to be an interesting. Um, thing for for him to figure out is is what pieces is he bringing with him from the Albiero model that's worked really well in Louisville and and what things is he going to have to do differently to be successful in South Bend, Indiana versus Louisville, Kentucky? They've got Portillo's in South Bend, Indiana, so he's got that going. (laughs) And then another ACC hire, uh, Chase Kreitler, who was the Cal assistant, um, I, I guess kind of technically still was, but stepped away as his wife had a child and David Marsh took over for, for taper time and NCAAs and conference championships. Um, he's not returning to Cal. He is going to be the new head coach of Pitt. So lots of changes within this conference. Um, Chase has been coaching for a long time. I didn't realize how extensive his resume was. Uh, Braden, thoughts on Chase going down to Pitt? Does this mean David Marsh is going to be the new full-time assistant at Cal? I mean, that's what I thought should happen. <laughs> I, I am I am ready for that news to drop. Um, you know, Chase has been coaching men's, men's teams for a little while, um, but, you know, he's coached women before. So 
he's he's got that background. Um, I think Pitt is another school with potential. They don't have quite sort of the the football foundation of a place like Notre Dame, but they've got a great facility and cool urban campus. Um, you know, I I think that there's some potential there. I think they can certainly be better than 11th in the ACC. Um, and, you know, I think Chase is a, a nice guy. I think he'll have a pretty easy time recruiting, both with his background and his personality. So I, I think Pitt's going to get better quick. Um, and how that sustains, I don't know. You know, I it, it's he's been he's been working under some of the best coaches that we've ever seen in college swimming. So now he's got to stand on his own two feet and we'll find out a lot about what he learned from those guys and and what he knows. Um, but, you know, it, it, at a minimum for Pitt, it seems like a change from some of the, the conflict they had under John Hargis. He, it doesn't seem like he's going to be one of these guys that's going to have tons of accusations of abuse by his athletes and verbal abuse and emotional abuse and all this stuff that's become sort of the norm, it feels like. So at least, you know, it, it feels like a stable foundation for them to move forward. Um, yeah, I think the, the recruiting piece is the one that, that is most interesting to me is that the state of Pennsylvania is a really, really strong, fertile recruiting ground that, to be honest, like doesn't have a, a major player in the state, right, in terms of uh, he's not competing with another, uh, you know, University of Virginia, University of Florida, University of Texas, like a, a big powerhouse program in the state. You UPenn isn't a big powerhouse program. Michael uh, Hayden graduate is doing great. University of Pennsylvania, everybody look out for it in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, but certainly on the western half of the state, we'll leave it at that. Um, the if he can more or less kind of put a, a, a fence, so to speak, around the state of Pennsylvania and, and keep a lot of the best kids in Pennsylvania going in Pennsylvania going to Pittsburgh. Um, that's the biggest piece, is is he has to get uh, national level talent through the door in pit in pittsburgh to compete with the uvas the nc states the louisvilles um in what is in, in my opinion quickly becoming one of the strong if not the strongest conference in college swimming i think there's two angles worth kind of offbeat angles worth discussing here number one as you alluded to penn state hasn't been great um and they have a terrible facility if Pitt gets good does that shorten the leash at Penn State. And number two, let's fast forward five years. Which team is placing higher at ACC's, Notre Dame or Pitt? Uh, to me, I'm going with Pitt because of a point that Michael brought up earlier. You know, you, you take Notre Dame, which is in a pretty rural area. It's a small town. It has a little more of, of a university foundation and culture and tradition. Um, but you know, then you have Louisville where, where Lindauer came from. That's like a pretty urban area, but then you have Pittsburgh, you know, which is like very urban, big city. I've never been there. I've heard great things about it. Everyone who, who I've known who have, who's ever been, this is like, this is like actually a really cool city. So I think you combine that with the recruiting of Chase and the experience of Chase. Um, and I think he could really do some good things there with a recruiting pool like the East coast and Pennsylvania. It's, it's kind of tricky, right? Because I think if you put Chase at Notre Dame and you put Chris at Pitt, and I'm not saying that Chase is a better coach than Chris. Um, I don't know if we know the answer to that yet. Um, but Chase certainly has more name recognition. For whatever reason, the Louisville assistants, and I'm, I'm sure they're, gonna, they're all sitting in their offices watching this, screaming about how we don't talk about Louisville enough. 
but they don't have a lot of name recognition. And Chase Kreitler for an assistant coach is fairly well known. So if you put Chase with the resources of Notre Dame and sort of the national brand of Notre Dame, I think the clear answer is, is Notre Dame in a sort of compressed timeline like that. Um, but I, I, I like Pittsburgh. I'm one of these people who like Pittsburgh, but I'm trying to put myself in the mind of a, of a 17 year old high school student and specifically the parents of a 17 year old high school student. And they're both good academic schools, right? They're both very good academic schools, but there are a lot of people who, who view Notre Dame, like a USC, like one of these real top tier private schools. And there's a, a kind of a badge of honor of sending your kids to a Notre Dame. Um, and I think that's a big leg up for Chris. I don't know why that hasn't worked for Notre Dame yet. Um, I don't know what's going on there that, it, you know, obviously there was a problem with the last coaches for them to leave in the middle of the season. Um, but if, if, if Chris is a good coach and a good guy, Notre Dame should be a top 15 or 10 team consistently because that's what Notre Dame does. And it, it feels to me like for like Notre Dame feels like it's been a, a potential sleeping giant for a really, really long time. The, the, the resources of the athletic department with Notre Dame being an independent football school, they get financially get way more resources than, than um, a lot of teams get just from being in a, a power five conference um, as you mentioned, the facilities are, are pretty comparable and, and the academic piece, at least of the reputation of the school outside of the region, um, is, is unbelievable at Notre Dame. And it, it feels to me that, as, as you said, it's a place that you should be able to get to a, a consistent top 10 NCAA program. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. But I, for that reason alone, I feel like it's, it's such a, it's a natural the brand recognition is going to get his foot in the door with a conversation with everybody in the country. Whereas I'm not sure that the brand recognition of Pitt is going to allow Chase to get his foot in the door with everybody in the country. Well, and, and Notre Dame is an international brand, right? Like a lot of European kids are like, Oh, I don't, I don't care. All these colleges are the same to me. Um, I want to go to the one that's going to get me to the Olympics. European kids will know Notre Dame kids in California want to go to Notre Dame. Um, he, you know, locally, he's got the recruiting hotbed in Indiana, the recruiting hotbed in Chicago, which is the biggest LSC in the country. And until Notre Dame's recent sort of signs of life has been just sort of a free for all for the rest of the Big Ten to pick over. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think this is bad news for the Big Ten, because if Notre Dame starts recruiting Chicago well, then that's bad for a Big Ten, especially on the men's side, that's um, look, you know, is a little hobbled at the moment. So, uh, it's, I, I think my final answer is probably Notre Dame, but that maybe has less to do with the quality of the coaches than the, just the circumstance. Well, and to, to further that point, even though I said Pitt, uh, like Notre Dame was almost there, right? They had Zach Yaden, and then they had Jack Hoagland, who was like Zach Yaden Jr., right? ACC like, Swimmer of the Year. And they were they were like building there, and you could see the building blocks behind them, you know, their second-tier teammates, like them pulling them up. So like they were almost there, and then you kind of had this coaching team collapse, and it, it all kind of fell apart. But it, it's, you know, certainly in recent past, they've been right there. And so it seems like 
you know, with, with the right leadership, they could probably do it again pretty quickly. All right, enough about college. Let's talk about U.S. College season's over. (laughs) College season's over, and it's time for some sink or swim. U.S. World Trials is upon us. It starts tomorrow, and we are sink or swimming our top storylines to watch for in Greensboro. First off, Shane Casas just missed the Olympic team last year. He has looked pretty solid this year at some of the pro swims. I even got to see one of his taper practices the other day. He was talking smack to David Johnston. We might see a 400 free slash 400 IM showdown in Irvine at nationals later this summer. My fingers are crossed for that. Do we see Shane bouncing back and making the world's team this year? I'm going to swim it on, you know, on any individual event, I can come up with a reason not to, but with how, how well he swam at short course worlds and then going to Texas and sort of that new training environment, hopefully got him refocused and re-engaged. Um, we have to remember he was arrested for public intoxication just a few weeks before the Olympic trials. And, you know, I would, I would expect that at least in his first few months at a new program, that kind of thing wouldn't be happening. Um, so on the totality of his opportunities, you know, he's, he's one of three guys in the hundred back. He's one of a couple of guys in the 200 back. He's got a shot in the hundred fly, depending on how Michael Andrew looks. Uh, we'll see if he swims the 200 IM, but I, it seems to me like he's got as good a shot of anybody there. Um, so just the number of opportunities he has, I'm going to swim him making the team. Don't ask me which race I don't want to say. Yeah, I, I agree that I'll swim this as well. And, and it was for the exact same reason he has, I think there's, there's as likely a chance that he qualifies in, in three or four individual events as he does, as he misses the team. Like he has so many different opportunities to make the team in the backstrokes and the hundred fly, the 156, 200 IM in San Antonio is, uh, you know, for a mid season race is, is a huge swim. He, there are just too many opportunities for him to make the team there's, he's got to hit at least one of them. And my gut tells me there's going to be at least, there's going to be more than one. Ooh, which ones? I'm going to go with the, the 200 IM and the 100 back. I'm, I'm going to go 100 back, 100 fly. I think he'd be, I think he picked Pips MA for the 100 fly. I'm, I'm one up in you guys. I'm going one back, two back, one fly. I, I, I think he has a monster meet. We've seen him do it before, not long course granted, but he is, but we've seen him do a short course. We've seen him doing short course meters, won the, won the hunter back in Abu Dhabi in December. I think he goes, I think he makes the team in three events, but we'll soon find out next up. Uh, this is a weird year, right? We never have trials in April. feels like we're, Canada or Australia or the several countries that had it right Um, because of the world champs that are moved up in June it's a quick turnaround for the college swimmers do we think this is going to benefit the college swimmers and do we think they can handle this well and make the team so sink or swim this will benefit collegiate swimmers coming off of NCAAs I'm gonna sink it um, I guess I, I kind of get it. And with the pro swims being a little bit soft, I think maybe some of the pros have the potential to be a little flat. I can see all of those arguments, but I just don't think 
and NCAAs is such an emotional high. I think it's going to be hard to sort of recapture that as quickly as they need to for a lot of swimmers. Um, so I'm going to sink it being a benefit. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sink it as I'm going to sink it as well. Like no matter what anybody says, everybody rests some amount in February at conference. Everybody goes all in for NCAAs, and then you got to go in all 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 in again at the end of April. You're talking three rests in in the span of ten weeks. Like that is not a really a recipe for success, and especially in long course. And for those that make the team and have to rest again five weeks later, they, they you're looking at at four different rests over the course of 14, 15 weeks. At some point, you got to do some work to finish some races in long course. And I think that that's a potentially a, a really we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. But I think that could be a recipe for disaster at the worlds when for the college kids that do make it is that they've been perpetually resting so much over the months leading up plus finals. Cause all the college kids are taking or about to take finals. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're USA swimming, you're almost from a, from a national brand perspective, you might almost be rooting for some of the college kids to not show up for that reason. I, I, I wonder how many, college swimmers came into this, like expecting this. And we, you know, we saw a few swimmers that could have been faster at NCAAs. Maybe some of them didn't go full taper for NCAAs. I know there, I know how we always talk about these taper things, but I think that's a potential this year. That's, that's the point I was just about to bring up, especially on the women's side where you see a lot of the 2020 Olympians in college, Reagan, Tori, Phoebe Bacon, um, sorry, the other backstroker from Alabama, Ryan White, right? It's like a lot of those women, my theory is that they kind of planned on it. They did well at NCs, but none of them were, it seemed like they were at a hundred percent, right? Um, and my theory is that they were kind of planning for this. They, they, they rested for conference, they rested for NCs, but they had the base behind them and now they're going to rest for trials. And I think they will knock it out of the park or at, at least secure their spots. Um, on the men's side, it's a little different because a lot of the guys who did really well there are not from America. And a lot of the, the U S NCAA studs have less of a good chance making the team or just, it's a little more murky. Um, but I think, I think it's going to go well. I think people plan for it. And, uh, again, we'll find out soon. Men's 800 free relay. Oh man. <laughs> I don't even know what's going to happen here. We have so many like wild cards. We have like Blake P's out. Uh, we have one or two others from Tokyo who are like not really in the mix as I recall. Oh, I think we thought Drew Kibler was going to retire, but he's not it, but it's just such a mixed bag. Um, so I'll let you guys dissect it, but sink or swim, we're going to meddle in, in Budapest. <laughs> we just, I, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I guess Australia being shorthanded, I think we'll probably find a way to medal because I think we'll probably find a bunch of 40, 145s and 146s on a relay. And that's fine. Um, I really want Caleb to take this opportunity to go for it in the 200 free. Like if not now, then when? Um, let's find out how that plays out. You know, the Olympic schedule is going to change in Paris. We don't know what 
that exactly will look like yet, but we know it's going to change. So maybe that 800 free re- relay conflict will be alleviated for him. Um, I but like how they made that announcement and then didn't tell us. <laughs> like I remember yeah. clicking on that article and be like, oh boy. And then we didn't know it. So yeah. yeah. And, so. and when they do, we will write a minimum of 72 articles on the topic. Um, so I don't, I think they'll probably meddle just because of the circumstance of it. And like, the U.S. has the depth where when guys are kind of looking past this meet that they can still put together a good relay, whereas other countries, if they have a top guy looking past this meet, they might be sunk. Um, so I think we'll still medal. I don't know who's going to be on the team. Carson, maybe. Maybe those, that'll be Carson's big breakthrough. Michael, say something interesting. I'm, I got nothing. I, yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time. Well, I had a hard time seeing us not meddling last summer, and we all know how that ended up, right? The I have to think, to Braden's point, like there are, um, you know, probably no less than half a dozen guys that with a relay swing can go 146 mid, if not more than that. Like there's at a certain point, there's it just becomes a numbers game of, you know, we're not going to have the 143 or the 144 split, but we're probably just going to have four, four dudes that are solid enough to, to find their way into a bronze. Um, I think from the, the Caleb perspective, it, it, it's really up to what, you know, his goal and what his goals and, and Nesty's goals are to figure out at this meet. And if the goal is to win as many medals as possible, like putting him on, on the mixed relays is obviously the way to go to put a, if he's you know going to swim all these different events, you know, on a free, a, if we're debating whether or not we're going to medal and the goal is to win as many medals as possible, then you don't put them on a relay where we're not even sure if we're going to medal. Hey, but what about my goals? Bite your tongue, Michael. <laughs> I, I have my own set of goals for Caleb and I think he needs to consider those too. <laughs> Just do it, Caleb. Um, I do want to add that uh, Russia's out, right? Right. Uh, so that's a fact. I, I feel like we will medal because of where all the other teams are at, right? Yeah, because Russia was silver, Australia was bronze, and both of those relays, I mean, Russia's gone. Australia, at best, will be neutered with no Kyle Chalmers. Um, Brazil kind of looks shaky. Yeah, U.S. was fourth. Italy will be there. But But then there's a huge gap after Italy to Switzerland. So, yeah, I I mean, now that I'm looking at it harder, it's a clear swim, but I don't think it's going to be too impressive. I'm looking at the schedule for Worlds because I'm not I'm not so worried about Caleb um, qualifying. It's it's does it make sense for him to swim at Worlds? Right. And it is at the end of the session with the 50 free and the 100 fly. Gosh. Um, I mean, it's just prelims and semis of the 50 free and the 100 fly. And, you know, last year we used them on that mixed medley at the end of a triple, even when we shouldn't have, um, regardless of the triple. So, like, you know, if you're not going to be afraid to do it at, at the Olympics, why should you be afraid to do it at Worlds? But you shouldn't. Zach Apple do swim it after his hundred free semi, and we all stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh man! All right. Well. Well, Nesty and Desorbo will have different opinions on that. So. <laughs> all right, Carson Foster, another guy training with the Texas Longhorns. Uh, you know, his narrative has been for a while. He can swim really, really fast, but he hasn't necessarily done it at the right times. Will he finally qualify for a senior international team? 
I think he's absolutely going to because I think he's he's so much better in the 200 free now that I think he's got a chance there and the pressure's kind of off. And I, if if Chase doesn't swim the 400 IM, that feels like that takes a lot of pressure off there too because it's it's a pretty sizable gap to the field. So I think by circumstance, he will definitely make the team. You know, if I think Carson's got like four race at world's potential and, and at the risk of putting more pressure on him that we don't need to do, um, that's sort of the like the, oh, my God, Carson's got it figured out and he's the new Captain America um, level. But I think like Shane Casas, just he's got enough chances and enough races He's not putting all his eggs in one basket. I think that will alleviate some of the pressure. He doesn't have to win races. He just has to be top two or top six. And so I think he makes the team. I'm swimming it. Yeah, I'm going to swim it as well. And, and as Braden said, the big variable in the 400 IM is whether or not Kalish swims it. If, if Kalish swims it, then that becomes a lot hairier of a field for Carson to work his way through, as opposed to if he doesn't, then it's it's much more open with finishing up just in the top two without Chase there. Um but I, I'm going to throw out a comparison to Carson Foster following a similar path as Andrew Seliscar, starting off as an IMer and then finding his way on international teams in the 200 free. And I, I think that's where Carson makes it here is he's maybe he qualifies individually. He certainly, I think, qualifies on the 800 free relay. And like, you know, he was seventh at trials last year. Right. I mean, he just missed it. And I think he was feeling way more pressure at that meet than he probably will, or maybe just handling that pressure better this time around. And especially with the people that won't be there at trials this time, I absolutely swim it and see him making a team at the very least in that 200 free. Uh, another exciting relay potentially for us women's four by one free. So in 2016 Olympics, Australia dominated, broke the world record, won gold. Next year, USA came back when Australia didn't have a full power team and won world champs gold. 2020 Olympics, Australia dominated, broke world record, won gold. It's 2022. Are the are the are okay, Team USA women 4 by one free relay, do they win gold? Uh you know, I think we can't forget about Canada. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Canada with Maggie McNeil injured. I'd probably give the U.S. an edge. They were only three 100s apart at the Olympics, I think. So I'd probably give the U.S. the edge there. Um, you know, I think, I think, God, Australia doesn't have to be at full strength to throw out like a 51 and 352s on that relay. That's, that's what's kind of scary about them. Um, and the U.S. will be lucky to get, 352s and a 53. So um, I think I think I'm going to sink the Americans swimming it. But the re the the one thing that the U.S. has going for it is that most of this relay is not coming off of NCAA competition. Most of the swimmers who could be on this relay: Claire Curzon, Abby Weitzel, Natalie Hins. Um, Erica Brown, who am I not thinking of? Tor uh, Tor Smoliga, Tori Husk would be the exception to that. Um, Gretchen, Gretchen and Kate, if Gretchen, yeah. yeah, Gretchen and Kate, if you think they're really there. Um, and they, they, not that I don't think they could be, but like, I don't, I don't know that I see them as the difference makers here. Like, I don't think they're there yet in long course. 
um, at least in the 100 free. Um, but, you know, the U.S. has some pieces that aren't coming off of the college uh Season. I don't think they'll have much trouble replacing Allison Schmidt and Katie DeLuf, neither of whom are swimming at this meet and were prelim swimmers last year. So I don't think that'll be a problem. But, you know, the U.S. can put together a really good four. Um, and I, I, you know, I think they have a chance. I'm not going to say it's like out of the question, but I think Australia is deep enough that they can still win this even without Emma McEwen, Kate Campbell and whoever else is missing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sink it as well. And the, and the piece that we haven't talked about is obviously we were bronze last summer. And the person who carried that relay to the bronze, Simone Manuel, still went 51-9 at the end of that relay, despite all of the, you know, all of the conversation around whatever issues she had. 52-9. 52-9, excuse me. Um, you know, still was, was you know, the 54-0 leadoff from Erica Brown was, you know, that that's not going to get it done again if you don't have that uh, – you, know, you don't have the hammer at the end. And if I don't know that we have, um, you know, multiple people that are going to go in the like 52 mid to low that it's going to take to win. So two, two, two scheduling thoughts here. Women's foreign free relays day one at worlds, um, which means it's after the women's hundred fly semis and after the women's 200 IM semis. So that probably hurts, uh, Kate Douglas's chances of being on that relay. Um, and Tori and, and Kurzan both coming off. Presumably. Both coming off the 100 fly. They um, but they're young. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. If Kate, if Kate's in all three of those, I think she's definitely out of the relay. Um, <laughs> it's just possible. It is possible. It's just um, a thought. It's just... Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and that also says, though, it's day one. And the U.S. won't have a lot of time to sort of figure out who's handling their quadruple taper well and who is not handling their quadruple taper well. So that is something that works against them. I think if we can lead off in a 53 mid and have three 52s, I think we win it. I think. Yeah, again, but that's a big if. It is a big if, but I think Claire is going to freaking blow it up. I think Tori coming off the Olympics is going to have a good year. And I think our veterans can continue being solid enough legs to where I'm praying. Well, then you sound, you've sounded more like a fan today than an analyst. I'm, I'm going to say that. <laughs> I do. I do think I'm, you know, half of it's praying. But you I don't do think, think you don't think Australia great. can match last year. You don't think Australia can match 53 mid and three fifty twos. I with- do think they can. With but Mario Palligan and they've faltered on that before, you know. It's like we saw him falter in the four by two last summer. Again, in 2017, coming off of that huge world world title or sorry, Olympic title, uh, they just they didn't have the juice. Yeah. Um, their question is gonna be whether one of those young swimmers is ready to sort of step into the stuff the spotlight on that relay without the veterans there. Cause I I you know, I have confidence that. Molly O'Callaghan can go 52 low. Um, Meg Harris can go 52 mid or low. You know, if they're kind of, they know they have those veterans around them. The question is, can one of them or, or both of them for that matter, do it uh, as the a number one top of the heap. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So those are our previews. <laughs> Stay tuned to swim swim for full 2022 us world champ trials coverage. And we will see you in Greensboro.